What's up, world? It's the one and only Pop DBIC, the primetime Kappa. And boy, oh boy, I know I've been gone for a bit, but hey, it is what it is. And it's time to start back the premier sports betting show, the primetime angles. And man, I'm telling you guys right now, I'm going to try to work this thing out daily. Even if it's only 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to try to get you guys something because, you know, we got horse racing and everything going on. And I am a horse racing aficionado. So tomorrow we're going to be uh, featuring a lot of races tomorrow and uh, little sequences and things like that for Santa Anita. But I do have a best bets uh, group for you today over at Golden Gate the uh track over in northern cali and you guys already know that uh pretty much both california tracks are now going to be back active after literally being off the last two months um pretty much so now they are back in business and ready to roll they were able to race a little bit in the quarantine but then the state came down on both uh racetracks and uh pretty much made them wrap it up but also, Los Alamitos never, ever had to fall up under that category of, you know, being taken all the way off. Why? Because they are in Orange County, and they worked some things out, and they they're, they they gave it to the city to shut them down, and they did not do that. Now, the county of Los Angeles shut down the Santa Anita racetrack simply because there are a little some other issues going on with Santa Anita and that was a good way to get you know pretty much get people off the track for a little bit and kind of slow down business but all in all they did prevail with great pro with great um politics and everything like that and went about everything the correct way and were able to get the track uh returned for tomorrow so we'll get into that later on into the show but i just want to touch on that just a little bit and since we don't have major sports around just know that our bets will be coming from the horse racing world and if you guys are interested in buying uh my personal exclusive race cards that have yielded thousands of dollars maybe millions over the time that you know i've been playing this for you know for people and everything if you really count up all the dollars and everything like that you know um pretty much you guys can go ahead and um hit me up on the twitter at pop dibiase that's p-o-p-d-i-b-i-a-s-e or you guys can just put in the primetime capper and i should be showing right on up for you guys as well too so let's go ahead and talk about the nba real quick and in the nba right now we got a lot of things moving parts you know and uh pretty much you have the players that are ready to roll, ready to play, and then you have the owners and the executives of the league who are kind of still hesitant, waiting on the word from Washington and everything like that, but it looks like that there are states that are going back to um, normal, such as Texas and Florida, Arizona as well, so in certain states, there won't be the same type of restrictions like it is for the for Brooklyn or for the Knicks or for the Lakers and the Clippers in uh, states that are pretty much locked down for the rest of the summer as well too so it's going to be a little bit of a difficult situation but I think the NBA all in all will find the resolution to come up with a way for the NBA season to continue the Lakers can always play at their beautiful uh, facility practice facility as well too if it really comes down to that if they don't want the team in an arena and things of that nature and not a lot of people um, on top of each other the Clippers also have a beautiful uh, state-of-the-art facility as well too where they can fill games because people have to understand that the South Bay Lakers do play in the practice facility of the Lakers as well because it is a state-of-the-art facility out there in what out there um is a player it's out near marina del rey so it's out sort of by the beach it's in, in the off the it's in that four off the 405 area that's what how i really want to say it so um all in all though i really do think that the nba season will be coming back to us and we just have to be a little patient i think that the nba will return sometime in july and uh we should be good to go i know the WNBA will probably be good to go to be honest with you so we will see how that goes but let's go ahead and talk about the last dance 
If you saw the last episode, they got into Jordan's retirement and what sparked his comeback to come back to the NBA, his baseball career. And let me tell you guys right now, his baseball career was nothing really to ever even remember or even try to bring up again. And it's funny because I saw a lot of people say, well, you know, he did bat 200 and he stole 50 bases, la, 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 or 30 bases, something of that nature, and he had 50 hits. Well, still. He was doing it at a time where Major League Baseball was kind of in a flux and they were kind of about kind of it was money wars going on as well, too. And I think that some people played a little bit of favoritism with uh, Jordan as well, too. You know, kind of make it make him look good. Or there were some guys who just, you know, some days, hey, Jordan got a base hit off of me. And hey, that's something I could tell my kids about. But, you know, he was getting better as a minor league baseball player but he would have never been a, a great pro to be that honest with you and um the writing was on the wall almost immediately with michael jordan and i think that he did do something you know he gave himself a challenge and that challenge did not go the way that most of his challenges went throughout his illustrious career and everything so pretty much that's what episode seven was more about then episode eight was more about the winning of the first title in the second run and yeah i'm gonna tell you like this i'm not saying this because i don't like the it, there's nothing against the warriors the warriors have ran one of the better have ran one of the greatest dynasties in nba history yes i have to admit that you know what i mean three championships in a five-year stretch you know and pretty much they Went to five straight finals as well, too, when I think about it, right? They didn't go to five straight. Yeah, they went to five straight finals as well. Even though they only played two teams in that regard, the Cavs and the... The Cavs and the... Well, they, they went four times in the last five years. I'm, I'm, I'm confusing myself. So, yeah, I would say that pretty much, yeah, they went the last five times. So, because you have to remember, they beat the Cavs in 15, they lost in 16, they won 2017, 2018, and then played in 2019. So, that would be five finals in a row, winning three out of five of those finals as well, too. So, the Warriors did a good job of being today's team. But I don't think that they were ever seen as rock stars like the Bulls were. The Bulls, you knew everybody's name on the team. From Dickie Simpkins to Jed Bushler to John Sally to Steve Kerr, you can name everybody on the bench, you know. And then they had a great starting uh, five as well too, you know. With with um, a lot of people always think that Steve Kerr was a starter. Steve Kerr was not a starter. Um, actually, Randy Brown used to yield more minutes than Steve Kerr to be exact. But the point guard for the Bulls was Ron Harper then it was Jordan at the two Pippen at the three at the four was Rodman and at the five was Luke Longley and then they used to kind of alternate sometimes as well two Kukoc would actually go start out the four and Rodman would come off the bench for him but just know that Tony Kukoc was the leader of the bench mob as well too and so when it came to who was the sixth man it wasn't Steve Kerr it was Tony Kukoc Let's not get things twisted. Steve Kerr does talk a lot because they give him a platform to talk a lot because he was on TNT for years and he has a lot of good little Jordan stories from the second round. But, you know, as Jordan said before, he literally directed some of his ill will when he came back towards guys like Jad Bussler and Steve Kerr because they didn't get it. You know, they weren't a part of the, the, the group per se. And, you know, Jeb Bushler was drafted into the situation. But, you know, Steve Kerr played for the, the uh, Cavaliers. And the Cavaliers and the Bulls it used to get nasty with us, too. They can't get into a whole big old rant and rave about the Cavs and Bulls rivalry. But, you know, literally, the Cavs and Bulls used to be at each other's throat just as much as the Pistons and the Bulls were as well, too. Only thing is, is that the Cavs weren't, like, as tough as the Pistons, you know, they weren't as tough-minded as the Pistons, but they had their fair share, fair share of scrums. Uh, one that's very memorable is when Danny Ferry 
who was slapped upside the head by Jordan was thrown out of the game and Michael Jordan wasn't thrown out of the game. That was, was one of the craziest things I've had ever seen in basketball, period. And that's when I said, damn, Jordan really does have a hold on these referees. I was young when I, when I saw this as well, too. So, you know, that's just a little bit of facts and history for you because the writers and reporters are so infatuated with giving you all the goods of Jordan and he was so perfect and all that good stuff. But, you know, he had to work just as hard as the next man to get to where he where he was able to where he was got to. And I think that the second run was more significant because he was older and the league actually had were trying their hardest to you know, remove themselves from Michael Jordan. You know, they were trying their hardest to, you know, really key in on the new generation, which was led in the beginning by Penny Hardaway and Grant Hill and Jason Kidd. And these guys were seen as exceptional, exceptional players that should take the game to the next level. Kobe Bryant was seen as young potential, young talent. He could be whatever he wants to be. And then literally in his second season he was able to get it together and improve Kobe still wasn't anywhere near as good as he was going to get in that all-star appearance that they showed as well too so people have to understand that part as well that Kobe was just still scratching the surface a bit and nobody really was saying okay Kobe's going to be the the future of the game they were always finding somebody else that they felt that was better than Kobe Bryant why because he had Shaquille O'Neal it wasn't until later on after Shaquille left that everybody kind of got the point that Kobe Bryant was here to stay and he was going to be a guy that you were going to have to deal with even and this is even with the accolades that he received and everything before Shaq left because you know he had a 55 point game against Jordan you know Jordan's final season but still, everybody was always about Shaq first with the Lakers when Kobe and Shaq were here together. So, it goes back, and these two, you know, they played a very, very definitive game and probably the most dominant duo I've ever seen. And that's why the Lakers feel real confident about how they were moving forward you know, against any of these dynasties as well, too. So when it comes down to it, to build a dynasty, make a team, the team has to be all the way right. And you have to be able to have bench players that really can play their role. And I always feel like the Warriors are running about seven deep. The Bulls, in all reality, were running pretty deep. They had a great starting five. They were led by Jordan. But the other guys knew that they had to step it up or they weren't going to be on the team for long or they weren't going to be getting a lot of playing time either. And then you get chastised by Jordan. You don't want to get all that. You don't want all that either. You know, so it is what it is. But one significant thing I want to talk about was the 1993 finals. Now, I am a big fan of Charles Barkley. Like, he's probably my top NBA player of all time. Second is... is Magic Johnson, and you know, Jordan's in the top five, uh, you know, I'm not going to take Jordan out the top five, but this is my top five, it's not, I don't care, you know what I mean, so I'm going to have it the way I want to have it, okay, but my top two players of all time are Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson, I really tried to mold my game after those two players, but Barkley was more, was more who I was like, I had a little bit of attitude when I played the game, and you know, I was always ready to fight, you know, and you know, pretty much, I felt like, okay, you know, he's big and strong, you know, and he'll get to the hoop forcefully and, you know, crack a couple jokes and everything like that, but this guy comes to play, and I always loved the way that Barkley played, and I, he really became my favorite player in the time when he was with the Dream Team, and the way he just destroyed the game in the um, 92 Olympics, and then he came, comes back. He's on the Phoenix Suns because, you know, when he was on the Sixers, it wasn't as attractive as it was when he was on the Suns. When he was on the Sixers, it was always playing with the ghosts of of Sixers past. You know what I mean? They're always talking about Dr. J, Moses Malone in 1983. And they just really didn't move on. They didn't build a good team around Barkley. So when Barkley got to Phoenix, he was the missing piece for a team that needed a superstar. Kevin Johnson could was always a hell of a uh, player. Um, Dan Marley as well too they had Tom Chambers who was a very good player at the uh, time as well and 
this was so helpful when Charles Barkley stepped on the scene for this team because he became the go-to guy. He can he became the guy that could carry you to the victory. And you know, the Suns weren't a team that missed the playoffs either. The Suns were a as I'm saying now, they were a very good team. They also had Cedric Sabalos as well. You know, Pig Miller was a, still a very, you know, prominent post player. And then, you know, Tony Dumas, man. Tony Dumas might be the biggest fail I've ever seen in basketball or sports history. He's, the guy was a really, 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 really athletic guard. And he really threw it all away at the, at the end of everything. You know, he drug charges. He never was able to get back into the league. Um but Dumas was really, 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 really exceptional, and anybody can ask Charles Barkley that 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 was one of his one of his more, you know, it, that was one of his more consistent teammates right there. Also, they had good guys coming off the bench like Frank Johnson, Danny Ainge as well too, who was you know Celtic fame, all that good stuff. And Danny Ainge actually had played for the Blazers the year before too. They don't mention that. But Danny was on the Blazers as well, too, in 91-92. So, you know, he had just came over. And he's playing with the Suns as well. So, you know, that that right there, I would say these guys were pretty much, you know, in place to beat the Bulls. And when you say that the Bulls always had a better team, I'm not going to say that when it came to the 93 finals. I felt like the Suns had a way better team. The Suns were very close to breaking the Lakers record that season. They won, I think, 66, 67 games. Nobody had won that many games in the NBA in a very long time as well, too. And they had beat the uh, Bulls in during the season pretty handily as well, too. And they just seemed like the more focus-driven team, and it was the year of Barkley. See, sometimes guys don't have great a great five years in a row sometimes they have a great year just a great year Russell Westbrook James Harden they all have been able to have that happen for them before and Charles Barkley had a hell of a season there was no way you could deny that man as the MVP that year because he was the most valuable player in the NBA because that's pretty much them giving it to the guy who played on the best team and was the best player. And and during the season, record-wise, the Suns were the better team, even though the Bulls were a two-time champion. So in their first run, that would have to be their toughest, toughest, uh, toughest final period, in my opinion, because they went to Chicago and did what nobody else did in Chicago. They won two out of three. Nobody else ever won two out of three in Chicago. And that's pretty nuts in itself as well too you know even though it was only twice Chicago had to actually you know play at home you know so I mean play on the start on the road but you know all in all they're still sticking on the finals and yeah just know that final shot that by John Paxton that broke my heart too and I'm not even uh Sorry about that, but that's just me being a fan of, you know, pretty much what the what the situation was and just being a big fan of just Barkley at the time. But seriously, at the end of the day, though, this one was one that winds up being one of the better finals in my lifetime. And I just that was the one Jordan really had to earn, man. They really, really, really had to fight for that title it wasn't an easy run to get to the finals that year for the bulls and when they got to the finals they went against a team in phoenix that actually had to play elimination games in each series they played and they had to go to five with the lakers they had to go to seven with the um i want to say the rockets and it was the rockets that they played the first time around I think they went to seven with the Rockets and then they went to seven with the Sonics for sure because the Sonics were a very, 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 very tough team for them to beat. They really were. Like, seriously, they were a very tough team for them to beat. And that 
right there show the grit and determination of the Suns as well because they were able to win those closeout games. And when they got to that series, if they would have forced a game seven, most de- most definitely that would have been probably a seventh game. So there it is. That's my wrap-up for it. But seriously, though, Eric, they're talking about the um, – you know, breakups of the Bulls, all that stuff. And the writing was on the wall, man. I'm going to just tell you guys this right now before we switch, before I switch on to the NFL. But the writing was on the wall. The organization knew the Bulls weren't going to win another championship if they came back after that 98 championship because you had a lot of... A lot of the dogs was coming. You know what I mean? You had Tim Duncan... In San Antonio, the Lakers weren't weren't going to be denied much longer, and Utah was actually nipping on their heels as well too. So it was tough. It was very tough to say the Bulls would have been been able to win four in a row. You know, I don't think that was going to happen. I think that age would have really caught up with them because the league was getting younger, and it was getting better, and it was getting faster, and it was just the league was going to the next phase. So. It is what it is. All right. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and I'll be right back. And we're going to go ahead and talk some NFL futures real quick. Um, I'm not going to give out any over under predictions, but I am going to go over the the amount of wins that they have for these teams and why they will put these amount of wins in for these teams. So there it is. You guys stay tuned. This is the Premier Sports Betting Show with the one and only Pop DBIC, the primetime Kappa. And this is the Primetime Angles. All right, we are back with the Premier Sports Betting Show, the Primetime Angles with the one and only Pop DiBiase, the Primetime Capper. And, oh boy, I'm telling you right now, the NFL is going to be some parody this year boy it's no patriots is the foregone conclusion as being the champions no no none of that this season um now they've actually bestowed that title upon the chiefs which i don't think is the smartest thing to do either it doesn't i don't really care if you got 20 of 22 starters coming back that is like telling that's now we're talking like college or something of that nature as as if their injuries don't happen in the NFL. Injuries are so current in the NFL, it's not even funny. Your best player could be hurt all season long and not say a word. You know, so let's stop with the with the with the BS about, you know, twenty out of twenty two players are returning. That means absolutely nothing. Five of those guys can be start be bench players next year when they hey, when somebody else might outplay them for their position it happens it's the nfl so let's go ahead and talk about the afc north the Bengals picked up joe burrow who might be one of the most overhyped draft picks in current time but we're gonna see we are gonna see because you you know you gotta give him a chance you gotta let him shine just a little bit so we're gonna see how that one goes but they have them at five and a half wins. I think that's about right, to be dead honest with you. Because when it comes down to it, the Bengals are good. Are good in a sense to where you like the way that they're moving towards trying to be a very consistent team. But I don't see you being a very consistent team when you go away from a guy who really wasn't the problem at quarterback. And Burrow, if he does do well, it's because A.J. Green, John Ross, those guys being healthy next season. And they could possibly get over the five and a half wins that they've given to them um, for the over-under. But I think that, in all honesty, it's about right. It's saying that you're not going to make the playoffs. And I truly do feel like the Bengals are not going to make the playoffs next season. I'm not going to say that they finished last in the North, but... I will say that they're not going to make the playoffs next season. And again, they're not going to make the playoffs next season. So I said it three times. So that means they'll probably make the playoffs next season. (laughs) So we move on and we have the Browns. The Browns come in here. 
and the Browns are a couple wins higher. But I think that once again with the Browns, it's wishful thinking. They have the Browns at eight and a half. I think that the Browns at eight and a half is about right. You know, I would have put them at eight myself. But truly, this team can either be the champions of the North or they can be in third place. It's no middle between middle for this team. And I think this year is the year that they should be able to shine, honestly, because they have the receivers. They got the tight end. They got running backs. Now it's up to their talkative quarterback to finally play up to his potential of what he can really be. Is he going to be doing a lot of talking during press conferences this year? Or is he going to be making a lot of, you know, key decisions on moving this Browns team forward? That's my biggest question, you know. So, we're going to see how it goes. We really will. And the Browns 8.5 is about right, in my opinion. But at the same time, though, I know what they're doing here. Once again, they're trying to create a hype around the Browns like they did last season. And I'm going to tell you, like, this betters are going to hop all over it. Because it seems like people who bet the Browns are very avid Browns fans as well, too. And they are really hoping for that moment of serenity where the Browns find themselves in the Super Bowl, find themselves playing for the Lombardi Trophy. So then we can get into all these historical things that the Browns used to be. You know, so they're waiting. They're chomping at the bit. You know, networks, everybody would love to see the Browns in the playoffs. They would love to see the Browns in the Super Bowl. So they can have a good story to write. That's the whole thing. You know, and I truly do feel like this is the season right here where the Browns are going to have to make, is they're going to make or break situation. They have a new coach in place who's supposed to be experienced, but we're going to see, even though he's a first-time head coach who's coming off a pretty good run with the Minnesota team that had a very good offense and a very good system as well, too. But I think that he might be inheriting better players except for at the quarterback position here in uh, Cleveland and the offensive line as well, too. But we're going to see. It all comes down to the offensive line and the quarterback this season. The defense, I'm not worried about them. And the other playmakers, I'm not worried about them either. But it comes down to the line and the quarterback this year. And if Baker shows any flaws or is, is somewhat inconsistent, the Browns do have Case Keenum there just in case. In case Keenum has played much better as a guy coming in on relief than a guy that's actually starting. So, we're going to see how this one goes, but something to look at is something to uh, keep in mind, you know, so it is what it is. Alright, we move on. We got the Steelers, and the Steelers are up here at nine wins this season. The Steelers, I think that the Steelers are, everything is based on the health of Ben Roethlisberger, Last year, they were able to get it together somewhat, you know, with the two backups that they had. But it was mostly their defense that really got them over the hump last season when it came down to the Steelers. Like, their defense was the biggest reason why they were able to be a team that had a chance at the playoffs last season. So, that's what a lot of people had to put in the court is that, man their defense kept them afloat. The offense wound up being detrimental to their health. You know, they won some crucial clutch games, but they did get some games where it was like, okay, this one, if you don't win it, come on, man, you're not worth it. But that's how it was the final weeks for the Steelers because they weren't that good of a team. And that's because they didn't have their offense running the way that their offense usually does with a big, big, with a big bend. They were running with two, two lame duck uh, backups, and it is what it is. One lost his mind, and the other one just lost his patience, and that's what wound up being the end all, be all for the Steelers last season. Now Ben Roethlisberger comes back; he plays a full season, things of that nature you will probably be able to circle the Steelers back into the playoffs, but not so fast. Because do we think that Ben might have aged more without playing another season? You know, and that's the questions that you do start to ask yourself, you know. 
when it comes down to the Steelers and when it comes down to Big Ben. So the over nine and a half, that's going to be a strong bet for you right there. I know that a lot of people will probably lean towards the under this season with the Pittsburgh, with the Steelers, uh, simply because the Steelers need to work on the rebuild factor of their team. That means getting themselves a fr- franchise quarterback for the future. Ben Roethlisberger is literally on his last leg, and they need to go get themselves another dominant running back as well, too. They really did miss Le'Veon Bell a lot last season. If they would have had a player of his caliber, their offense would have been much, much better. And you can tell that they're kind of missing Antonio Brown as well, too. Because Juju did not play up to his uh, capability, you know, because he was not the second receiver anymore. Now he's the main man. But I would say injuries were a bit of a uh, problem for Juju Schuster last year as well, too. And he should be able to uh, have a bounce back season this year. So we're going to see. The Steelers still do have a pretty good roster over there, but it's going to be tough, man. Can't just rely on the defense week in, week out. All right, so we move on, and we have ourselves another pretty much, I think, an overhype coming here. It's going to be the Ravens. They're at 11 and a half. Now, they had a hell of a run last year. They wound up winning... 12 games in a row, and then they gave up their first playoff game of the year in a game that literally was an offensive an offensive gym, but lack of points. That's the whole thing. When you look at the comparison on yards, the total yards for that game offensively, you tell yourself, how did the Ravens lose this game? Well, the Ravens lost the game because of turnovers and because of turnovers and they and bad play calling as well, too. And as I told everybody, I said the Ravens got to lose before they get to the playoffs. They, it's just the right thing to do because then you can humble yourself, retrace your steps, and then you can go on. But when you're just winning and you're going along with the parade, yeah, 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 yeah. Then, there, that, then there's that dead end. And... The dead end is there because if you go past the dead end, ain't nothing there but the cliff for you to fall over with. And that's what happened. The Ravens fell off the cliff because they kept marching blindly. You know, they didn't take a few steps back and say, Mark Ingram's a little banged up. Let's go ahead and sit him the last few weeks of the season. No, they didn't do any of that. They just kept going with the flow, being as dominant as possible. They take a... a a quarterback that's in his third season, second season, actually, and he goes into his first playoff game as a bye, you know, because he went in the year before and they were the they had home field advantage, all that good stuff, and they had just beat the Chargers a few weeks earlier, but that didn't work in the game that in the rematch, you know, and in this game they played against the Titans team that was kind of feeling themselves. They had just beat the Patriots and you know, you kind of saw this one coming because they had just pretty much dominated the Patriots throughout four quarters. So what do you think that they were going to do to the Ravens? They wound up scoring fast and getting early turnovers and really swinging the momentum of the game very early in the game to where Baltimore had to play catch-up all night long. And I don't think Baltimore is the catch-up type of team. I think that Baltimore has to solidify a nice lead for them to really move ahead and beat you. If they don't have that, they have issues. And that's exactly what occurred there. Them winning 11 and a half games or better, that's going to be tough this season as well, too. I feel like this division is going to come down to the final week of the season. And it's going to be a three-way race between the Browns, Steelers, and the Ravens, to be honest with you. That's how I'm really feeling right now. And the person that and the team that wins this division could possibly win this division is a 9-7 team this year. So we're going to see how it goes. We're going to see how it shakes out. But all in all, though, this is the AFC North for you. So we're going to move on and talk about the NFC North and their over-under win, over wins total. And um, 
you know, I saw some things this week where people were just being homers and everything like that. Sorry, Captain Lou, but I don't see your Lions winning more than the amount of games that they giving them. They're giving them six. I don't see I only see them winning three to five games this season. And I feel like that this will be the final season for Matt Stafford and Detroit as well, too, before they move him along down the road to somewhere. And I think that he winds up either retired or he winds up somewhere in Texas because I don't know how much longer that um, Deshaun Watson is going to be there. And especially the way that Bill O'Brien's trading players right now, I think if Deshaun Watson was the demanded trade, they would give they would oblige him, oblige him. That's my thing. And I truly do think when you look at things, the Lions just have to rebuild. And the Lions, no offense to the owner, she's a beautiful lady and all that good stuff. But I think that the Ford family needs to figure out a way to sell this Lions team to somebody who was who wants to spend more time building the team up to be a dominant, dominant team, not just a team that's able to sell some tickets. So We'll see how it goes, but sorry, Captain Lou. I know you're going to listen to the show, but I don't see the Lions getting more than three to five wins. I saw him put up nine and seven. That's a dream right there. It really is. I know that the Lions seem to have some players that nobody ever talks about. They're always stepping it up, looking good and everything like that, but I don't think a rookie cornerback is going to be that much of a difference with the team that's just middling or mediocre at best. Now, the Bears, they have eight and a half. The Bears are coming in with a lot of questions. They don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be opening week, even though we all lean towards Trubisky. There's still Nick Foles in the fold. Now, they didn't chase Cam Newton, so they're pretty much giving, throwing, throwing, they're pretty much throwing in their hat right now, saying that they're going to be all in on Mitch Trubisky one more season. If he does well, they'll probably try to resign him. If not, then, you know, they're going to be moving along and trying to find themselves another quarterback in the future. But I would say this about the Bears. The Bears would be better off right now with a veteran quarterback, a guy who's been through it all. And that's why I just don't understand how Cam Newton did not become a Chicago Bear over the offseason. But I think, though, as we get the season going or as we get the preseason, he might be getting a call from the Bears just, just because. You know what I mean? And I truly do feel like the Bears, all in all, are the first team with a quarterback controversy, to be honest with you. I like Trubisky, but most feel that he's already had enough chances to prove himself, and he's not proving himself. So we're going to see how it goes. And uh, the Bears over eight and a half wins, that's going to be tough. Ray, I know that's your boy, man. I know, and you're my boy, but you know what? At the end of the day, I don't see them doing better than 7-9, and nine, to be dead honest with you. Because once again, they can't rely just heavily on the defense alone. They got to figure out ways to really, really win these games. That's the whole thing with the offensive side of the ball. And I think that starts with a dominant run game, which they didn't have last season, which they need to get back to. So that's the Bears for you over under eight and a half wins. Then you got the Vikings here. The Vikings are at nine wins. I think the Vikings should have been higher because the Vikings are actually should be the favorite to win the NFC North this season. I think that they got everything in place to to be that team. I know they lost Stephon Diggs, but they were able to get the kid from LSU to replace him. So they'll be all right. And you know the receiver position so in in is so disposable in today's NFL. You can find a 4-3 burner and you didn't even draft him. Come on, man. That's how today's NFL works. So, you know, losing Stephon Diggs was huge, but it wasn't the end of the world for these guys either. So, that's how I'm looking at it. That's how I see it. And I think that the Vikings will wind up being much better than the 9. I think that they get 10. They finish up 10-6 and six at um, or 12-4 and four at best. I think they're going to have a really good season because they're going to have a lot of, of players coming back, and their defense is still A1. Then you had the Packers. The Packers are not seen as they're not seen as a team that's going to be going back-to-back. They're nine and a half, they have nine and a half wins on their side, and I think that the Packers really, truly did take advantage of a weak division last year. The, the, the Vikings did make the playoffs. They played well, but the Bears and the Lions... We're just a very, we're both very mentally. And, you know, 
the main reason why the Packers did win was because they dominated the NFC North uh, last season. This season, I don't see that happening. They got a new coach. The coach is cool. He's good. He's nice. But, you know, he did well last season with Aaron Rodgers. But with Aaron, with them drafting the quarterback, Jordan Love, I think that it may make Rodgers a little too paranoid. And this could be very damaging towards the psyche and the chemistry of this team moving forward. So we're going to really see how this one goes. But I think that the... The Packers are in a year where they're going to be doing what I call the swan song. And they're going to be figuring out ways how they can move Aaron Rodgers after this season. Because if he was upset after draft night, there's no point in having him tear down the kid. You know what I mean? And have him, you know, belittle the kid. But if Rodgers has another career season, then Jordan Love's going to have to be ready to hold that clipboard a little bit longer. And so we're going to see... People have to understand that all players are assets to these teams, so they're trying to figure out how to get the most out of these assets. And right now, Rodgers might be on the the uh, clock of of going to a new team within the next 18 months. So there it is with the Packers. The Packers are nine and a half, and I think that the Packers will wind up probably hitting nine and seven at worst, and then probably finishing up. 12 for 11 and 5 at best repeating as the NFC North champions but it's going to be a tall task we're going to see how it goes so with that that's going to wrap up today's uh, segment on the NFL over under wins uh, when I get back tomorrow we're going to talk about the south the dirty dirty south which is wide open in, um, in both conferences so that's where we'll go from there but when I get back we're going to go ahead and break down some Ponies real quick over here at Golden Gate Fields, and that's going to be a wrap to the show as well, too. But you guys get ready for the best bets of the day over at Golden Gate Fields, and this is the Premier Sports Betting Show with the one and only Pop DiBiase, the primetime capital. talk some horse racing here on the premier sports betting show the primetime angles with the one and only pop dibiase the primetime capper all right so uh we have our bets today i got three of them for you guys we got the lead off the best value and the nightcap usually i do have the long shot of the day you know that horse for you but it seems like with this group right here and these three races that i picked out races one races five and nine today um, there that that did not pull up with this group, but I like the sequence of these races because race one is the start of the pick five, and the um, race five is the start of the latter part of the uh, the second version of the uh, pick five, the late version of it. But still, this one right here is pretty much halftime. The halfway point of the day and then we have the nightcap you guys always know i'm gonna give you the nightcap you know i'm gonna always give you the nightcap because you know if you lost the first eight races a day you still got your 10 bucks left and there was that horse that you picked out early in the morning for that late race and you saved that last 10 bucks you skipped out on the eighth race you still mad at yourself because you didn't take the horse you picked there and you find yourself in the ninth race because this horse is the one that has the value for you you say, okay, let's do it. You know, let's let's shake the dice. Let's see how it goes. So, here we are. Here we are. Race one, we got ourselves a pretty good race here. Um, it's a lot of North and Southern California trainers that are taking part in this race day today as well, too. We do have some, uh, we do have Peter Erden who has a horse up there. Simon Callahan has a horse up there. Um, also, you know, the usual suspects is Steve Maietti. It has some horses running today as well, too. And Matt Chu actually has a horse running that I like a lot. And it seems like the betters like this horse a lot as well, too. This horse's name is going to be Buyback. Buyback is going to be a horse that is going to be ridden by Hall of Famer Kent DeSormo. And he's trained by Matthew Chu. Last time out, Buyback actually won at Santa Anita and raced two on March 20th. Some of the final days before we did go before they stopped. But this horse has been really good in their last uh, four races. 
Um, the horse finished third on December 13th, first on the 3rd of January, second on February 9th, and finished first here in the 25K claiming race. This time, this horse is in a starter allowance that's for $19,000. So it does go into the so this does the horse does come in here with a lot of class to be honest with you. So the horse was 72 morning line right now. The horse is three to two, but I'm thinking that this is just the early money that's going on the horse. I would say that when we get to the window, the horse that should be the bottom out favorite should be Shanghai Truffles because that horse probably has the best uh, has the best ratings when it comes to it. But Buyback is the high, hottest horse in the race, and I have to go ahead and take Buyback. Even though buyback is not one uh, back-to-back races, this is the type of situation that the trainer is setting the horse up for to win this race. So I'm going to go ahead and take buyback as our key horse here in the leadoff uh, sequence of the best bets. And we're going to add in Shanghai Truffles, the three horse, and we're also going to add in Posh Holly, another Santa Anita horse as well, two train trained by Steve Sherman. And uh, Frankie Alvarado is going to be riding this horse. And then my boy, William Anta Georgie. We're going to throw his horse in here, Mahima. And this horse is going to be trained by Michael Lazzini. So we're going to see how this one goes. But this is a pretty good group right here. So go ahead. If you need to box it, you're going to box the three, four, five, six. But our key horse for this race is going to be buyback, the four horse. Okay, so we move on and we have ourselves another pretty good group here in race five we got eight runners here in this group we had seven runners in the first race but in this group right here i'm gonna go ahead and take simon callahan's horse this horse has ran three times at santa anita and last time out the horse did finish second in uh twenty thousand dollar maiden claimers they're gonna go ahead and move this horse to thirteen thousand dollar maiden claimers and this horse is, will be going to the turf for the first time. Now, Constitution Affair, I think that the horse just needs a different course. And it did do well in its last race. And I know that they have the horse up north right now because they did not know the plan with Santa Anita. So we're going to go ahead. I'm going to, I'm, I'm thinking like Simon Callahan is. I think Simon Callahan sees something in this race today that's going to get his horse the W. So I'm going to take the seven, Constitution Affair. And this horse is going to be ridden by Juan Hernandez. We're going to pair this horse with the four horse, Cape Point, who's going to be trained by lead trainer down south. Um, that's going to be John Sadler, but he's going to have Catalino Martinez riding this horse. And last time out, the horse did finish seventh in a maiden special weight. So this horse is has the most class in the group, okay? This horse is one against much tougher, and it really should be a shoo-in to win this race today, but I like Constitution Affair just a bit more in this spot. I think that that horse is going to run huge today. Usually, Simon always does well when he goes up to um, Northern California as well, too. We're also going to circle the eight horse, Strugar. Strugar is going to be trained by Peter Erden. And last time out, the horse did finish seventh. And this was another horse that was a part of a maiden special weight race. And it looks like him and this horse in Cape Point were a part of the same exact race. And actually, Strugar did a bit better than this horse as well, too. So we're going to see how this one goes. But Strugar is a part of the group as well, too. And then we're going to also go ahead and add in the... We're also going to go ahead and add in the five horse here. El Baracho. This horse is going to be uh, written, be trained by Blaine Wright and written by Kevin Orozco. This horse is 8-1 to one, um, for the morning line as well, too. So throw some little seasoning in there real quick for us so we can get ourselves some value here, okay? So this one right here, this is going to be a pretty good race. It's race five. It's to start kickoff to the... Late pick five, but I would say play the late pick four. I will have my ticket up for you guys in a in probably about the next 10, 15 minutes. It's about noon my time out here in LA. The races do start at 12:45, so I will try to have this up as fast as possible, and hopefully we get this show up uh, quick as possible too. But this is my final segment, so we'll, we should be fine. Now let's go ahead and recap. Something got stuck in my throat. So sorry about that. But let's go ahead and recap Cape Point, the four horse, five horse El Baracho, and then we're going to add in the seven horse, who is our key horse, Constitution Affair, 
and this horse is going to be three to one morning ride hopefully we can get that number a bit bigger and then we got strugoff there are eight horse and that's going to be the peter urton led trainee all right so we have 11 horse field in our nightcap but we did have the horse that i was going to choose upon be scratched and that's going to be wilshire dude so we're so let's go ahead and knock out wilshire dude real quick wilshire dude was the horse that i did pick but that horse will be scratched that horse was trained by steve maietti and was going to be ridden by billy uh and georgie today so what we're going to do is we're going to go down the list and we're going to actually throw in this horse that i liked off top anyway this horse is going to be the sixth horse and this horse is going to be uh, named seven thunder seven thunder is trained by frank lucarelli and is going to be trained and is ridden by francisco Manoise. so last time out the horse did finish fifth on march 29th this horse is 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 a golden gay vet the horse was in a um stakes trial as well too uh back in november wind up finishing fourth came back out of that race finished fourth again then uh went eight and a half finished fifth and it's finished fifth twice but i think that this horse can run to the condition i think that it, this suits the horse very well it's a seventeen thousand dollar race so the horse is kind of dropping in class a little bit and i think this suits the horse very well and i like the price too so now we got ourselves a nightcap and we got ourselves a shot of the day as well too and that's going to be southern thunder all right so we move on and our next horse is going to be a horse that's going to be the uh favorite when we get down to it especially since uh wilshire dude is not a part of the um race anymore so we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna go ahead let me go ahead and check this out real quick but we're gonna throw in the four horse right here this is gonna be a horse by the name of eldritch this horse is gonna be trained by mark platt and ridden by frank alvarado we're also gonna throw in the three horse Severino and we're gonna also throw in the nine horse a horse by the name of game ground ridden by former santa anita vet uh brandon pena and then carolina island who's ridden by the hall of famer kent sermo and trained by ed moger jr that's going to be our fourth horse and then we're going to go ahead and throw in a horse that my little buddy is going to be riding on i think this is just kind of a hunch that i'm throwing it in here and it has some value to it too for our super high five this is going to be a horse by the name of rob's lucky spirit this horse is going to be ridden by kyle frey trained by taylor faith all right so faith taylor i'm sorry about that so there it is for the end of the day our horses are going to be this it's going to be the four the six the seven the nine and the ten for our super high five to close at golden gate fields and that's going to be a wrap on my best bets of the day and that's going to be a wrap on the show today as well too please go ahead and make sure you listen to the show retweet the show as well too tell all your friends to get into it but we will be back on a daily basis if everything works out well before i start the show you know life happens anything can happen before that but i'll be making daily announcements making sure that everybody is aware that the show will be available on a daily basis and once we get back to sports we are going live and it's going to be a little bit different now it's going to be a lot of fun we're going to be having a lot of guests and all that good stuff coming in so you guys be prepared for that so it is what it is and that's our best bets of the day and those was my thoughts about the nba and the nfl as well too so you guys stay tuned this is the premier sports betting show the primetime angles with the one and only pop dbic the primetime kappa and i'll be right back at you tomorrow so you guys make sure to listen share and give me some feedback if you want to as well too thank you so much you guys are always great and i am gone